welcome to Health, Happiness and Homeopathy. Hello, my name is Madeleine Innocent. I want to help you reach your greatest potential through holistic means which are both logical and empowering. The importance of the microbiomes and how they affect your health. Antibiotics are dished out like candy with almost every visit to an MD or vet, even when an infection hasn't been confirmed. It's the one drug the medics seem to use with total impunity. And when it doesn't work, which is quite often, they just increase the strength and the duration. It's madness. If something doesn't work, then it doesn't work. By constantly trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, by hitting it harder, what do you achieve? Usually a damaged round hole and a square, and square peg. Which is exactly what happens with antibiotics and really with all drugs too. This is not healing. It's doing the exact opposite of what used to be the oath taken on qualifications. That is, do no harm. It's now known that all living beings have microbiomes, which consists of a series of communities of bacteria, fungi, viruses, archaea, protists, these are single-cell organisms, and other microorganisms whose composition are dependent on environmental conditions. They occur everywhere. Perhaps the best known are the gut. And these microbiomes, they outnumber the body's own cells. It's also known that no tissue in a body is sterile. So our bodies operate within all these living communities in a continuous dynamic equilibrium. What are the constituents of a microbiome? We're all holobionts which is a collection of the host and species living in or around and form a micro-unit living cooperatively together. Every living being is part of a holobiont, or is it a holobiont? can't remember. <laughs> Growth, health and evolution are entirely dependent and are enmeshed within these microbiomes. There are at least 10,000 different microbial species. There are 10 trillion different bacterial cells. I'm glad I didn't do the counting on that. There's a one-to-one ratio of bacteria to human cells. There's a 200-to-1 microbial DNA to human DNA. (laughs) We haven't got any DNA, really. It's all the microbiomes. And by cells, we are less than 50% human. And by genetics, we are less than half a percent human. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? The gastrointestinal microbiome. We are an elaborate vessel optimised for the growth and spread of microbial inhabitants. Well, it makes you think, doesn't it? (laughs) And less, um, sorry, the intestinal microbiome represents one of the most complex and richest ecosystems on Earth. And it's taken millions of years to construct. 
(laughs) and less than 100 years to deconstruct. The gastrointestinal tract contains the greatest diversity and abundance of the microbiome of microbes in the body, more than a hundred trillion living organisms. In one gram of healthy human stool, there are 10 billion bacteria, 1 billion viruses, 10 billion um, bacteriophages, 100 million archaea, 1 million fungal spores, protozoa, and sometimes helminths, and a helminth is a worm. More than 99% of gastrointestinal bacteria are anaerobes. In other words, they live in oxygen-free environments. I know we need oxygen, but inside our body, they can't uh, get access to this oxygen. 80% have never been grown outside the body. The gastrointestinal tract has more than 2,200 different bacterial and archaea species. The gastrointestinal microbiome establishes a state of homeostasis to the general health and well-being of the entire body. It plays a major role in maturation of the immune and endocrine, which is glands, system. It's really, really important in children because it helps them mature and adults. It's key to neurodevelopment and ultimately ultimately programs mood and behaviour. Now, that's an interesting one. Increased hygiene drugs and vaccines have altered gut flora, increasing the risk of developing immune-mediated diseases, reducing maturation. Western populations have a lower diversity of bacteria in the uh, gut microbiome than do so-called third world countries. Within six months, Immigrants moving to the US lose 15, that's 1-5% of their native microbiome diversity, with obesity increasing sixfold. Their children lose another 10%. And I'm sure these uh, figures aren't just related to America. Immigrants develop metabolic diseases after immigration. Let me take you back a few hundred years. During the bubonic plague, when large swathes of the population died, the living conditions in city dwellers was pretty poor. Nutrition in the working classes was largely inadequate. Living conditions were overcrowded. Sanitation consisted of throwing the contents of the potty out the window and water was contaminated and had to be collected or delivered. So immunity was pretty poor to say the least and it's so easy to see how contagion spread. What's really interesting though is who came in to collect all the infected bodies? Who did the clearing up? It was the country dwellers, those who were dealing with dirt all day long with their hands in the soil, mucking out animal pens and not washing that often. I'm sure a weekly bath was luxury for many. Not only that, being farmers or farm workers, they were often growing their own food, so their nutrition was much better. 
and they did survive. They collected all these so-called contagious bodies and they didn't get the problem. So this is a great example of how the immune system works. Eat healthy food and expose yourself to naturally occurring microbes. All drugs damage the microbiomes and very often leads to chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is the cause of most diseases. Antibiotics perhaps lead the way with statins a close second. Statins are known to drive a profound remodeling of the gut and liver microbiome and they disrupt metabolic processes associated with gastrointestinal pain, bloating, diarrhea, constipation and all the rest of it. They inhibit the growth of archaea, archaea, even leading to their extinction. Disturbed microbiomes, known as dysbiosis, in the gastrointestinal tract, significantly increase the risk of cancer. The health, or perhaps more like the lack of it, of the gastrointestinal microbiome is largely indicated in many conditions such as autism, anxiety, depression, obesity, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, to name just a few. The oral microbiome. This is the second largest and diverse microbiome after the gastrointestinal. Here, there are 700 species of bacteria, fungi, viruses, protozoa. There are a hundred million viruses in each cc of healthy saliva. There are a hundred and one different species of fungi in the mouth, most of which cannot be cultured. Loss of this diversity is directly associated with the rapid increase in squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue. Periodontal disease is the sixth most common disease worldwide. Largely to blame here are both toothpastes and particularly mouthwashes. You're probably thinking this is the exact opposite of what you've been told to do, but just about everything has been turned on its head. The liver and gallbladder microbiome. These protect against a range of diseases, including fatty liver, hepatitis, cirrhosis, hepatic encephalopathy, and others. When the gallbladder is removed, it significantly alters the gastrointestinal microbiome and increases the risk of stomach and colorectal cancers. The appendix microbiome. This holds a reserve of organisms helping to re-inoculate the colon after an inflammatory state. Children treated with antibiotics have a much higher risk of developing appendicitis and increases the risk of many chronic diseases including depression and colon cancer. The skin microbiome. This forms a barrier preventing entry of pathogens and it protects against dermatological conditions. There's a great variation of microbiome populations depending upon the area. 
It's disrupted by soap, alcohol, lotions, sanitizers, antiperspirants and deodorants. The lung microbiome. The lung microbiome is exposed to 7,000 litres of diverse microbe-filled air daily. Loss of this microbiome diversity plays a significant role in the outcome of chronic respiratory disease, including asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, cystic fibrosis and bronchiectasis. Sorry, bronchiectasis. Viruses are important. They are the main driver of evolution. They're like emails, carrying information, but they're not alive. They appear to play an important part in brain development, dementia. They affect behaviour, memory, mood, cognition and consciousness. Problems with antibiotics and drugs in general. Antibiotics, especially in early life, alters brain signalling pathways, underpinning social behaviour and pain regulation, and increases the risk of neuropsychiatric conditions in later life. They affect gut microbiomes, leading to neurobehavioural changes. They develop or contribute to dysbiosis, which is um, an un- uh, microbiome in array or not in a healthy state. And they damage spatial memory performance. They, are, uh, they increase the, the incident of uh, anxiety and depression. Long-term antibiotics for more than one month in middle-aged women, is associated with significant decline in cognition seven years later. 24% of drugs in all therapeutic classes inhibit the growth of at least one strain of the microbiomes in vitro. In vitro means it's outside of the body, so they're testing it in a laboratory. The bad ones are antibiotics, antivirals, antifungals, antiparasitics, antihypertensive, the proton pump inhibitors and antacids, the uh, the non-steroidal um, NZ. I don't know how you pronounce that. NSAIDs, N S A I D S, acetaminophen, acetaminophen opioids, steroids, antihistamines, statins, antidepressants, atypical antipsychotics, chemo, monoclonal antibodies, disease-modifying agents, synthetic hormones, really virtually any drug used in sufficient quantity, concentration and duration. Other inhibitors include soaps, mouthwashes, toothpaste, detergents, vaccines, and refined sugar, synthetic sweeteners, to say, to name just a few. Antibiotics kill both good, commensal, and bad, pathogenic bacteria. They cause dysbiosis, so that's that disturbed microbiome, increasing the risk of chronic inflammation. They alter behaviour. They encourage opportunistic microbes that can cause harm. They increase the risk of superbugs. They increase the risk and severity of cancer. 
They block the normal activation of the adaptive immune system. They interfere with the establishment of permanent immunity from acute infectious disease, promoting patterns of chronic inflammation. They disrupt disrupt the distribution of white blood cell movement, travelling to where they're needed. That's That's what they're for. Damage to the microbiome by drugs can be permanent without holistic help. It's considered that a single course of antibiotics damages the immune system for a year. What about going germ-free? Okay, well, it's found out that germ-free animals, poor old animals in the laboratory, they are anxious, and this is reversed when the microbiome is restored. Germ-free animals take greater risks, having higher cortisol and altered levels of neurotransmitters implicated in anxiety and depression. Microbiomes regulate brain myelination and myelin plasticity, which are damaged in germ-free animals but reversed when you repopulate the microbiome. So, some interesting facts. Acute inflammation protect against chronic inflammation illness, including autoimmunity, allergies and cancer. Many common viruses, including coronaviruses, herpes viruses, prevent cancer and reduce tumour size in the breast, prostate, bladder and brain. And it seems that multiple sclerosis is prevented by malarial parasites because when Sardinia eradicated malaria in the 1940s, it became the world epicentre of musculosclerosis. So I've got to love those mozzies. (laughs) A lot of soil pathogens support good immunity. Asthma and bronchitis are prevented by exposure to microbacteria found in the soil. In rural areas of developed countries, allergies are relatively rare and they seem to be inversely associated with the prevalence of helminth, that's worms, and acute infection. Allergies are rapidly increasing in urban populations, coinciding with a loss of worm infections. Countries with high incidence of helminth infestation are South America, Central America, Africa, except South Africa, Southern Asia, and and they all have a low incidence of autoimmune disease. Northern Europe and North America have high incidence of autoimmune diseases and low helminth infestations. Anti-helminthic treatment increases the prevalence of allergies. Expectant mothers who are dewormed to improve anemia have uh, offspring with rates of eczema that was four times higher than mothers with worms who did not receive the anti-helminthic treatment. In well-nourished populations, worms cause no measurable harm. Using helminth as therapeutic agents. The successful use of worms as therapeutic agents to resolve inflammatory diseases was first recorded recorded 40 years ago. Successful treatments included allergies, autoimmunity, inflammation, all associated with neuropsychotic disorders. 
Hookworm relates to a strong reduction in the risk of developing asthma in direct proportion to the intensity of infection. Talking of mothers, preeclampsia in pregnancy is a serious condition and it directly stems from the mother's diet being deficient in high dietary fibre. High fibre food only comes from fruit, fruit and vegetables. The mother's microbiome is critical in fetal development and immune response. So what can you do when you've already damaged your microbiomes? Well, first, recognise that drugs only manage disease. They do not cure, they do not restore health. And they generally lead to a slippery slope of more and more health issues. So use a holistic medicine, such as homeopathy. Get a family homeopath. Eat a lot of unwashed fresh produce. If you're not washing it, then uh, obviously it should be organic or better still homegrown. Try to grow some of your own food. It's really a good idea. Um, because organic food and homegrown food will have a lot of microbio uh, microbes. Eat sauerkraut or something similar, which is teeming with bacteria. Have at least a teaspoonful several times a day. Eat real food and lots of fresh produce. Avoid processed foods. Avoid mouthwashes, antiperspirants and sanitizers. Use natural deodorants, natural toothpaste or bicarb of soda. Get dirty. Expose yourself to naturally occurring germs. Go gardening. If you don't have a garden, volunteer at a community one. You may have to go slowly uh, integrating yourself into this if your microbiome is really deficient. A growing number of people are finding that soap and shampoo are unnecessary, that they actually feel cleaner just bathing in water. I read that results took a week to feel the benefit. It's probably worth trying. Uh, let's have some quotes. So M. Polan quotes, We've just spent the better part of a century doing our unwitting best to wreck the human-associated microbiota with a multi-fronted war on bacteria and a diet notably detrimental to its well-being. In the New England Journal of Medicine, IF Batch quotes, when we drastically reduced mumps, measles, tuberculosis, rheumatic fever, hepatitis A, we drastically increased Crohn's, multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes and asthma. The decline in infectious diseases increases the risk of immune disorders. M. Tennyson quotes, When you use antibiotics, you essentially drop a bomb on a microbial community. David Relman quotes, We have to stop looking at medicine as a war between invading pathogens and our bodies. Hear, hear. Martin Blazer quotes, antibiotics, antibiotics are major factors in epidemics of diabetes, obesity, asthma, food allergies, IBS, ADHD, autism and cancer. So much of this information came from a web webinar I attended with Ronald Whitman. He's a second generation medical homeopath. 
I have drastically condensed it. <laughs> You're probably feeling overwhelmed already. And tried to make it readable for the layman. Although these statistics and ailments have been focused on the human model, it's no different for any animal. So, till the next time, good health. <laughs>